Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. See, you're not polite anymore. That's how it starts. The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 213, the season two finale. They reminisce over you. Is brought to you by Beso de la Rana lipstick. The perfect way to help mother find peace. And and to give it in such a way, oh my, Pete, here we are, oh my, at the end of the season talking episode 213 oh don't worry pete we still have one more podcast for the season to go though a season two retrospective coming out on sunday and you know three four days from now in the interim pete what else do we have going on we have episode 108 9 and 10 of cloak and dagger still waiting on so we'll be finishing that off in addition to some other unmentioned goodies coming your way very soon with that, let's get to the lowdown where we review what's going on in the episode. The episode opens with DA Tower charging Mariah with 12 counts of murder. Ben Donovan is apoplectic, but Luke and Misty are in the back looking on. The judge denies Mariah bail but lets her speak. Rosalie Carbone watches as Mariah talks in code. Punish her and Harlem will descend into chaos. Intercut is a shootout stopped by Luke Cage. God help us all, says Mariah. The credits show the episode is written by Chio Hidari Coker and directed by Alex Garcia Lopez. After the credits, Tembi Wallace notes Harlem has indeed descended into hell. We see it as Misty takes down a thug. DW is packing up pops and Luke watches Tembi on TV. Luke is a port in a storm but can't stop it. Later with D.W. and Sugar, they wonder who's chopping up Harlem. Shades arrives, filling it in. It's the Latins and the Barricas, the Puerto Ricans. Why do Shades want to help? The old rules are being broken and everything is changing for the worse, as punctuated by the robbery of an old joint. Shades wants Luke to stop the flow by putting his hands on the faucet. Sugar's going to ask around Little Italy. Later, Luke waltzes into a sweet loft that was previously seen in Mr. Robot. He breaks the bones of the goons, making his way up to Rosalie. He tells her to keep out of Harlem and punctuates it by breaking each finger of the final goon's left hand, one by one. But Rosalie doesn't bat an eye. She's got Russian muscle to back things up. A sort of detente seems to be agreed upon. In Harlem's Paradise, Tilda is mixing up a new brew of something when Misty comes to visit, suggesting that Tilda is Harlem's Patty Hearst when it comes to helping Bushmaster. Tilda denies all, including knowing Bushmaster's location. Tilda knows nothing, and Misty leaves. Just like that, Sheldon and Auntie bring in a hurt Bushmaster. Tilda has a brew for Johnny, thank you very much. He knows that evil won't die on its own and that Mariah must burn. Later, Bushmaster and Auntie are making their way out of New York, and it looks like they do, leaving Sheldon and Tilda. At Rikers Island, that's the prison, Mariah is brought out of her cell as Officer Moore looks suspicious, but two women take out Moore Shiv-style. One's Jamaican, the other's Italian. They're about to burn her down when Kalinda, formerly Sunflower, has two lady goons of her own slit the throats of the attackers. She offers protection and Mariah takes it. She just needs that Shiv and promptly takes out Kalinda, Mariah's the queen in here now and puts the two shivers on her payroll. 
She calls Ben Donovan to get here ASAP. He gets there soon enough, and they talk in the attorney-client room. No bugs. Mariah proposed Shades meets his end, then spins a tale of Shades being the corrupter of this innocent widow. The light goes off over Donovan's head. It's not a bad idea after all. Oh, and Mariah wants the rest of the crew taken out, except Tilda, Donovan, and Sugar, whose wife showed Mariah kindness. Time advances and we see it happen, and Misty reflecting on the evidence back at the precinct. Misty is worried Shades is dead. In Tilda's shop, Alex is worried he's going to be dead. Tilda's not worried. After all, he knew what was what. Sure enough, though, Alex turns up dead, and Tilda's sad, as though her silence didn't contribute. An attempt is made on Shades' life, but he wants to talk to Mariah in prison, and does. Shades says that he was committed to her, but she didn't trust him. He walks, and Donovan tells Mariah that Tilda wants to talk to her, too. We see Tilda making an Espanol, Kiss of the Spider, a red liquid, and then she goes to see her mother. Mariah totes her black excellence, which shields her and is ready to start over. Tilda kisses her mother on the lips, hoping to find peace, as one does. Donovan appears. You'll never guess who called. Elsewhere, the sun rises, and Luke is reflecting that he needs to stop Mariah. Sugar is there, too. Luke likes Sugar, and it seems the show likes him, too, as we get a, a bit of a backstory on him where the Stokes look out for him. Luke ultimately meets up with Misty. He wants to see Mariah, too. He's told no, but is not taking no for an answer. Meanwhile, Tilda makes her way into Harlem's paradise, surveying the wreckage. The very appealing wreckage, it seems. Tilda plays a song on the organ over footage of Mariah hurting her, Luke walking, Misty working out, Shade sitting by himself in the park. The music video ends with Luke visiting Mariah. She sees him as the catalyst for her turning evil, as well as Harlem's prospective king. Then she starts spitting up blood. The Kiss of the Spider. With flashback, as Tilda explains what it was. Mariah's dying, but Luke will keep her company as it burns. Then she's dead. The headline in the bulletin reads, The Witch is Dead, and Misty finds Shades reading the paper. Misty's arresting Shades, who didn't know his deal was only good once Mariah was convicted. He laughs at Mariah's last turn on him and is taken out in cuffs. Tilda, now Tilda Johnson, tells the undertaker to simply cremate her mother and not to worry about the ashes. At Pop's Barbershop, everything feels weird now, like November 9th, says D.W. Sheldon comes in. Things are in the right hands now. D.W. doesn't quite understand, and Luke spells it out. Luke Cage will make Harlem great again. D.W. can't believe Luke is going to be the new godfather. And all that merchandise? D.W. is using the money to open the barbership back up again, make it Switzerland. And Luke can't run his business out of here. Donovan arrives, and Luke and Sugar leave. At Harlem's Paradise, Donovan reassesses Mariah's will. The Basquiat goes to the museum. Millions will convert into the Family First Foundation. Tilda gets the keyboard organ, and Luke Cage is given Harlem's Paradise, the club, the deed, the name. We flash back to Mariah making that will, so that Harlem's Paradise will lull Luke Cage into the sour song of the place. But Luke declines, suggesting that the place be burned down to the ground. Somehow, though, Luke ends up at the round window, the place filled. The biggie photo comes down, replaced by Ali punching towards the camera. Misty is there, wondering if he's watching like a dictator. He says he's watching like a hawk. He'll run things his way, and he doesn't need to worry about the law, the same law that hasn't protected them in the past. With that, Sugar comes in, 
Rosalie and Annabelle need to talk. Harlem's paradise is as it's been. Crime lords, police, side by side, but now with Luke watching from the roost, bathed in the devilish light. Clara arrives off screen and Luke sends her home. Season two is bookended with the words from Reverend Dad. Power brings pain and power flows from within. What comes out is the real magic. As a postscript, and memoriam, Reg E. Cathy. Forward always. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Mm, Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Pete. Let's talk about the worst bad guy, nay, the bad gal that there was this entire season. Let's dig into the late, great Mariah Stokes Dillard. Well, Matt, right before I had watched this finale, I was flipping through the channels and I caught Star Trek First Contact on. And there you've got Alfre Woodard's Lily uh, as a protagonist. And I can't ever watch her and not have the, the really, for me, quintessential performance in, in her genre career in the forefront of my mind and then you have mariah now and this her swan song not her siren song we'll talk about that in a little (laughs) bit okay but uh you know just an absolute tour de force performance as an actress in you know her final regular role in the marvel cinematic universe Mariah to the end through this episode was tough, was was uh, definitive in her decisions, was seductive. Uh, I like that she figured out what was done, the kiss of the spider there. Uh, and I guess, Pete, now's, now's a good time as any to bring up the pre-season one finger wagging that we got on Twitter. I must confess, I don't remember who, but who said... You guys don't understand Mariah. Of course, Alfre Woodard is playing Mariah in Captain America Civil War. You just don't know how Mariah is. Pete, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. This episode <laughs> did not tie back to the Alfre Woodard character in uh, Captain America Civil War. It did not. And it should not because they're very clearly different characters, which was well established you know, back in season one in 2016, (laughs) there had been some thought that perhaps there could be some strange connection because Matt, it's hashtag all connected or hashtag it's all connected. But yeah, there wasn't, but what a way for her to go out here dying in Luke's arms, um, you know, done in by her daughter, the, the speculation we'll talk about in our uh, theory segment in a little bit in terms of what that could mean going forward, particularly the way, you know, not a way we anticipated that this season could end. Mm. Um, but with her out of the way now, her, her legacy and uh, what that all means, very, very important. I don't fault a lawyer for being a defense attorney. I certainly, you know, I mean, I know as much as anybody from watching TV and seeing Law and Order, and I read the Jeffrey Tubin uh, OJ book twice, cover to cover, and loved it. But you know that that wouldn't be my chosen profession if if I had become a lawyer. That wouldn't be my chosen specialty. But 
I get it. And everybody deserves representation, etc. Even bad people, even wealthy bad people. Where Ben Donovan crosses the line is when Mariah is using clearly coded language to talk about, let's kill a whole bunch of people. You can go deliver the message to the right people to make sure that anybody who was involved in the Harlem's Paradise crew is killed. Oh, uh, here's a little something for you, Ben Donovan. Uh, it's not going to be you either. Uh, so you don't need to order your own death. Thank you very much, sir. And that's when this light bulb goes off and he's like, yes, that would be a great uh, foundation for for your legal defense. Let me make sure those people get killed. <laughs> he's so present in this episode from the trial. We speculated might or might not happen. And there we just saw the arraignment to his presence uh, as a mule bringing protection money to Rikers Island, then as somebody who winds up taking, it, it's not apparent the last will and testament until you watch it. That was the thing he was asked by Mariah to do that needed to be all official. Um, but yeah, perhaps his most important uh, time in the Marvel Cinematic Universe in this episode. Moving on, we get uh, more Rosalie Carbone in this episode than, frankly, I had I had thought there was going to be. Um, I I don't, and in any way, fault the structure of the season for including her as a late uh, addition to the villainous set here. Uh, and we see her not only villainous; we see her her not blinking in the face of Luke Cage coming on up those stairs in Pete, as I know you heard in the in the uh, recap portion. In a, in a real location that was used very similarly in Mr. Robot, um, there she is at the one end watching him break every single finger the guy <laughs> has in his left hand. Um, it's a great character moment for her because it doesn't bother her one bit. Yeah, and she's not going away. Uh, if she does not recur in Daredevil Season 3, and we do not have information about that to this point, I would imagine she will be somebody who shows up in uh, The Punisher in season two because from the comics, uh, that is a character that actually, uh, you, you said frankly before, uh, Frank has had an emotional relationship with. Uh, so I think they're, they're laying the uh, character tracks for that given that they got somebody uh, in Annabella Siora to play her. I'll mention too, Pete, and I'll, we'll pull back the veil ever so slightly on the production of the podcast. Uh, we had we had started to record this episode uh, yesterday, and then after we talked a little bit about current goings on in the uh, in the world and mentioned a particular uh, Eurasian country, uh, that's when all the Skype trouble started. And so I won't <laughs> I won't mention that country again here, but I want to point out in what felt to be uh, oddly and perhaps unfortunately prescient, this notion that Rosalie, it's not just her bad, she's backed up by muscle from that country, I assume, you know, of the R-American variety uh, or whatever it is, but she's got muscle to back her up here. It was it was a very, very strange moment. It was indeed. So, yeah, thankfully that's not happening tonight, so we can record this podcast that'll hit you in a couple days. Let's talk about Tilda, Matt, because I don't think when we saw her introduced at the beginning of the season, 
we could have seen this coming. No, it's a nice arc for her villainous as it is and kind of, you know, basically counterintuitive as it is. We know Mariah's villainy, but for a child to kill the parent and to kill the parent in such a, uh, I mean, I'll say passionate, but I'm not trying to suggest anything salacious, but in such yeah. a, in intimate. such an emotional way, intimate. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a nice arc for her. I do think it is worth re revisiting this notion. You know, is she the Patty Hearst of, uh, of Harlem? Is she, you know, has she been, been brought over to an opposite side, a dark side by, by Bushmaster? Well, like I said, we're going to talk about what, she might be going forward if they even return to that. If we still don't have a green light on a season three, it's not that they won't get one. Uh, just waiting to hear whether or not that's going to be the case. I've been rewatching a fair amount of Defenders lately, and I've been impressed, you know, almost a year on how well that continues to hold up in light of what the various defenders have gone on to. We've had Jones, we've had cage return since then. Um, and I'm really interested to see, you know, we're waiting on uh, daredevil and punisher and iron fist. And then are we going to get another limited defenders run? Um, but that aside with Tilda, uh, here's somebody who, you know, she thought she was one thing. She's another. She's now embraced who she is and she's poisoning her mother. She's working with Bushmaster, uh, who she is sympathetic to. Uh, she's told by Sheldon, uh, that she's a, a good woman. Well, no good woman murders her mother, regardless of how bad a person her mother is. I mean, look at what Luke chose not to do um and and what tilda chose to do on the topic of tilda i certainly welcome in this modern age of television all sorts of structure you know i think as as much fondness as i have for the early 2000s and shows like csi and i know you still have the law and orders on and stuff like that that ultra regimented way that particularly our dramas used to be you know half hour comedy can still be i think because of its smaller size it can it can hold on to some of that structure without feeling aged but uh do whatever you want with your with your drama here repeat the music video of sorts in the middle of the episode where tilda sits down at at the at the organ and there's a montage of misty working out and shades and luke and mariah it was it was an odd moment. I'm not even saying I necessarily disliked it, but it was just an odd moment of like, oh no, we're just going to have her do like the chorus and verse of that song while we while we touch in with everyone here. Yeah, I think not only that, but couple that with the other one um, that the the rap at the end of the episode, which is very overtly about Luke and everything he's been through and they're really good bookends if you will to the stories well someone whose story appears not to be at least permanently bookended is uh, is bushmaster pete you could have knocked me over with one of those little leaves from the nightshade uh plant there pete to have bushmaster be taken out bloodied not dead on the mend i guess um 
uh, presumably slinking off back to Jamaica with no problem. I did not see that as an end at all. I would have bet he dies and Mariah lives, not the uh, not the opposite. I completely agree with you. And I think that the show was better for both decisions. Um, again, assuming they will come back and there's really nothing to say that they won't come back. It's not like Marvel Netflix is, you know, losing money. We talk on Twitter all the time about how much Netflix has put towards content. They have so outspent themselves on content, but look at the largesse they have in terms of properties. I mean, yesterday, Stranger Things dropped what is essentially a really corny 1980s mall commercial, but people are already buzzing about what that'll mean for the next season. Did they even admit in that that the next season won't come out until the third season won't come out until um summer of 2019 that uh they're wrapping very soon uh carrie elways is in it he's going to play the mayor of hawkins and he just spoke in in our area uh where matt and i live at the jersey shore so um they they spend so much that they will if if they want more luke cage it'll be coming it's not as if creatively they're starving for stories they have more to tell netflix does things on their own schedule and they just haven't renewed this yet yeah i think uh, certainly a topic for another day is some of that slightly boring but incredibly pertinent financial background on netflix just because you know either they're they're doubling down on investing in themselves and it's going to reap a long-term reward or it's going to be Toys R Us. It's either Amazon or it's Toys R Us. It's one of those two in terms of the financial model. But Pete, from the real world and finances to uh, to, to the fake world, to the hard knock life there in Rikers Island, Kalinda, gone too soon. Yeah, I was really kind of hoping that might get stretched out and so shocking. First off, you're going to kill Mariah. I'd love to be a part of the writer's room discussion. Was she going to go another way? Did we see a rewrite of her death? How fitting that would have been in her prison uniform to be set ablaze there by uh, those inmates. Um, but I like the way that it, it came about better uh, she gets doused, she dodges that, and then she cuts Kalinda's throat and she buys off her muscle. More shocking was just the scene in general. And I think that most of the, the Marvel Netflix stuff in terms of violence, it's been at that, you know, TV PG-13 kind of neighborhood. And, you know, as always, I put in what you want. I'm a grown up. I'm not offended that there was you know, multiple throat slittings. But to to have things go down where where it's the uh, the Italian and the Puerto Rican contingent, then they get taken out. And then there's Kalinda and her ladies and Kalinda's taken out. I mean, it's just blood everywhere. The rusty looking shiv there in hand. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you're, you're going to hit a home run with one scene, Kalinda, that's the one. Yeah, it absolutely was. And then what can you say about uh, Hernan Shades Alvarez? I mean, we've give Alfred Woodard all the credit in the world, but Theo Rossi 
from beginning to end of this season and, and somebody who we will see again alive with an expected renewal of this series just eats up the camera every moment he's on it. He absolutely does. And thank goodness the character made it to the end. I, I would say too, just in, in the name of uh, law and order, low L, lowercase L, lowercase O, uh, I mean, it's nice that his character gets arrested and now has to pay for these awful things that he's done. Still, the audience can kind of root for him behind bars because you're one writerly flick of, you know, oh man, he's out on appeal, or we paid off the judge, or hey, we broke him out, we defenders, because we need his skill set. Um, and, I mean, Theo Rossi could not have been better when he gets arrested and it's this final act of revenge indirectly albeit but this final act of revenge from mariah who you know because of because of her dealings and her goings-on has burned him one more time yeah his proffer falls through his lawyer that he dismissed never got to the fine print and and now he goes in uh on the charges that she had been arrested on and uh it's poetic in a way but matt you know who never needs bail who's that pete that's us because of the people who visit patreon.com slash fantastic geek they always keep us out of the big house yes every dollar sent through patreon there it does not go for us to wear suits with vests we have no big round uh window that needs continual replacement um <laughs> we don't need to buy new pictures to take down old pictures pete it's all going back into the podcast keeping things going as they are growing the podcast the family of podcasts from there and uh, for that we say thanks Yes, so everybody who contributes to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek gets access to exclusive podcast content, and then there's all sorts of levels. There's the Biggie Smalls level. There's the Tupac Shakur level. Okay, you want to get on those today. The big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, here's... A theory. Here's a question for you. Should Luke Cage have been on that bad dude list by the time the episode ends? No. And I'm going to tell you why. He used the phrase there. He's doing this as a, as a diplomat. Um, yes, there's the whole subtext of what Mariah said, the siren song of Harlem's Paradise and trying to entrap him in her world, drag him into the mud posthumously but we know luke's a bulletproof brother he's too good for that well you say that pete there's just one problem in my mind the the very able director alex garcia lopez bathing luke in light from below pete you know who else at least in 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 terms of uh popular uh you know popular presentation do you know who else is bathed from below in red light that would be wilson fisk Wilson Fist too. How about also the devil? I think there's some real, <laughs> and I'm not saying the show has committed to it, but I mean, th this was a shocking turn of events, particularly in a season where I, I found it difficult to put into words until I was watching this episode. And then all of a sudden the ending happened, but it's like at times they didn't know exactly what to do with the character of Luke Cage. Uh, similar, for example, to Cyclops and the X-Men. 
Cyclops is always the good number two. He's always going to listen to Professor X. He's always going to say, okay, Gene, if you want to go make huggy kissy time with Wolverine, I support you because you are a strong and independent woman. And all that gets a little boring as a character. There's times that Luke was kind of standing on the sidelines, I felt, as other things were swirling around him and he was rock steady. But I'm okay with that. Then at the end, he's not rock steady. And I don't know what to think, Pete. Listen, think of the fun they can have with this, particularly if the next time we see him would either be in the second season of Iron Fist, let's hope so, um, and or a second series of Defenders and that he could be in some way suspect. I mean, you've had the initial meetups and team-ups of these characters. Imagine the fun now for Danny or uh, Jessica to look at him suspiciously. Well, I'll just mention tangentially, Pete, that uh, the aforementioned episode director, Alex Garcia Lopez, uh, he also directed one episode of Cloak and Dagger that we've seen, one that has yet to air, two episodes of Daredevil Season 3, and an episode of Punisher Season 2. So, it's guess what? Work, son. He is. It's, he's, he's, he's done Marvel TV nonstop since, well, for this whole calendar year. So, he's, he's on quite a roll. I'm looking forward to it based on this episode, slightly long as it was. Hey, you know... It's Netflix, man. Nobody says it. Uh, nobody says you got to hit that. What is it now? 42 minutes, 43 minutes, whatever it is on network TV. Pete, enough about that. What theories do you have about this episode? Theories moving forward, etc. I always like to point out whenever we get that that cross bleed across Marvel uh, Netflix. So D.A. Towers showing up here, dropping the hammer on Mariah. Somebody from Daredevil. Now, obviously, looming. We had a mention before um, and in this series. That's part of the part of the strength of this show, these series of shows and the fact that they all uh, shoot in New York. You know, whatever whatever that actor is doing, with all due respect, clearly, he, he you know, he doesn't have a better job other than I'm going to go play D.A. Tower for this episode. I'm sure he's, you know, worked in between. But it adds to the authenticity when you can grab some of these actors and cross pollinate them. And I mean, to be fair, some of the larger actors too, who you're pulling, you know, from across the pond or the other side of the continent. Uh, but it was great to see him there and to see him successful. You know, we know him Pete from those less successful days when he was working his way on up here, he is bringing law and order and justice to Harlem uh, before it all melts down. And then there's no justice, but then there is at the end. Speaking of law and order, Matt, so we've talked before about the the state of the Marvel Cinematic Universe Union. We have President Ellis, who is a longstanding fixture and figure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He, of course, of Iron Man 3, uh, shows up um, – uh, and is discussed on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., okay? And they've also, courtesy of season one of Luke Cage, they have mentioned Barack Obama, uh, specifically Mariah did, okay? This episode marks the first mention of another president. So 
my question to you now, Matt, the, with the line Luke Trump, Donald Trump becomes canonical in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. My question for you is, what is Donald Trump in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Has President Ellis been dethroned? Well, and some of this is obviously kind of kind of deep, deep conjecture, but I have always been a proponent of the fact that President Ellis, you know, oftentimes on, you know, Marvel Wiki dot Wikia or whatever, oh, he was president in 2008. There was never any evidence that he was uh, elected president in 2008. He obviously was president uh, in 2013. So here's how I read the timeline, Pete, particularly with the references to Obama. Um, again, none of this canonical, all of this conjecture. I take it as Obama elected in 2008. Uh, we have the Battle of New York and the country and indeed the world's understanding of, <laughs> of its place in the universe drastically changing uh, in the Battle of New York. Uh, which then, in my mind, shifts the election. We have President Ellis elected. Pete, I'm doing all this off memory, by the way. This is how deeply I've thought about <laughs> presidential politics in the MCU. Uh, he said that he was elected on a single issue. I think the inference there, the issue, this drastically changed world. Um, and he was going to offer, I don't know, I guess something that Obama could not. Um, and then now with, with reference to, uh, reference to uh, waking up on November 9th, yeah, I guess Ellis is out, and I guess um, I, I, I guess we can only assume then that uh, that Trump is in. Um, Pete, I don't want to say anything too much because you know we have we have laws, and there are things you can't say too much on. Let's just say, you know what, Pete? Sometimes Thanos gets you, and sometimes Thanos doesn't. So 50 50 odds there. Wow. Um, and, and not to get political, uh, and, and please understand the discussion and why I bring this up. I mean, it's a pertinent point within this episode that these references are made. These references are pointedly made. Um, and this is us reacting to the art, the art reacting to our world. Um, so interesting that this comes up for the first time. And not to say that they wouldn't be paying attention, but, you know, when we see our Avengers again next May, you know, and when we have the Star Wars medal ceremony after, you know, Hawkeye has saved everybody and brought them all back. <laughs> to his uh, farm. Can we get 20 <laughs> minutes? Nay, 30 minutes on his farm. Let's just do, let's make all of Avengers 4 take place on the farm. <laughs> I don't think anybody's at the farm anymore, Matt. <laughs> I strongly suspect that's why Hawkeye will be back. Um, why why Barton will be back, Sans family. I mean, goodness, we've seen it happen to other Avengers. Um, but yeah, like, does, does a president, does the president that we've mentioned show up here and, and pin medals um, get mentioned? Does... Do they bring Ellis in and then zzz, oh, wait, we made a small, uh, you know, continuity error or ooh, time stone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think that as much as we all revel in it's all connected and as great as it is to have Turk Barrett and DA tower and all these connections, Tembi uh, man, come on, Tembi, Tembi in this yes. episode. Um, 
these shows are at their best when they focus on their own stories and dig down and do what they need to do. And frankly, the same is the case for the movies. Ant-Man and the Wasp is a perfectly great movie. It achieves everything that it wants to achieve and more. It's not just the heist this time. We have a little bit about family. We have empowered females. We have females recognizing that they need to be role models to others and all of this and fathers and daughters and all of that. There's all that in there. Then at the end, they slide in where it's connected. That's not a movie that's about that, you know, where it's about its connection. Same thing here. Am I going to crucify Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if in episode, you know, 608, they're like, oh man, thank goodness President uh, um, Ellis got reelected. All right, you know what? If uh, Jed Whedon and Marissa Tantrowan want to undo the Trump presidency, for example, at least in the MCU, all right, fine. If it's a continuity thing, it's like, if that's going to be our biggest complaint, fine. And that's where we get to a point, and I'll, I'll caution listeners here, when we get overly upset about continuity stuff like that and lose track of the story, that's when you end up in, you know, frankly, and Pete, you know, what was my first geekdom? What was my first property that I, that I still love the most? Star Trek. Star Trek. When you get into angry Star Trek nerd territory and you're like, no, if if Burnham doesn't wear a woolen sweater from 1964, then I can't watch. Like, yes. how about we just, you let's, can't, let's tell you some stories. You can't love it so much that you hold it so tight and crush it to death. Um, and you're never, ever going to get things that were... Uh, things that are new to look like they were filmed 50 years ago. It's not going to happen. Um, so so not to get so caught up in that. The, the importance of these stories is to be entertained. And they, they do so much of that. And, you know, I think that's an excellent point. That at the highest height of Marvel television is definitely having a conversation about the world around us. Whether it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. talking about the post-election world uh, last season, whether it's issues uh, confronting African-Americans that we see in Luke Cage, uh, issues in gender uh, with Jessica Jones, uh, how difficult it is to be a, a, a self-sufficient billionaire with blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> I was like, just going like to say, man, the, the white privilege happening over on, I hope the entire season two of Iron Fist is Danny apologizing for having money. Um, so the, the highest heights are about those, but it's also a show about a guy that has like, you know, story magic skin and he can like flick people with his finger and knock them down. And then there's awesome fights. And then his karate friend comes and they do karate punching and get the drug dealers beat up. So let's not oversell this as, right. you know, as as Mad Men and Handmaid's Tale and and Game of Thrones. It is what it is. It's entertaining with a little side of, of, of you know, a little side of a lesson at the end. It's not about the lesson itself always. Well, let's talk about that lesson that Mariah wants Luke to learn. Uh, now that she's gone, she intends to teach it. What's up with him being in charge uh, getting the deed to Harlem's paradise, will this come back to bite him? Pete, there's no question that the show is setting it up as this seductive thing that he thinks he will overcome, but she knows he cannot. Um, I, I quibble with it a little bit just because 
I don't know that I buy him as as so corruptible by this. At the end of the day, it's four walls and the dance floor. I know that it also is this essence and this place, and we get that you know those great closing images of police side by side with crime bosses. And it's how about this... the way everybody cleaned up too, man? Misty with the with the updo, okay, and even uh, uh, the deputy chief uh, hanging out there. It, it was it was a hell of a scene. Tilda's hairstyle, Pete, it looked great at Harlem's Paradise. Oh my gosh. It could have been great in a Star Wars movie. It was just, it was out of this world, literally. It was. It was. On Tilda, Matt, passed over here by her mother, mommy. Mommy. Uh, (laughs) Well, the the mother being the, uh, the, the, the reason that she composes the will. I've been poisoned because Mm. my daughter just called me mother. Okay. Um, what about being passed over the conjecture now turning to will she become the character of nightshade if we move forward on luke cage i think that she thinks she's doing good in in killing her mother the way bushmaster did and i think there are a lot of merits to bushmaster's perspective just as i think we could all agree uh that mariah needed to be out of be out of Harlem and and no longer have any connection. It's that crossing of the line for both Bushmaster and Tilda, where you take the law into your own hands. Perhaps, as Luke said, it's a law that has let let you know his people down. Uh, but you know she's a villain because she crosses that line. It's a nice setup for her to become a villainous character in the future. The one question I have, though, is if she becomes the Stokes who's out to destroy Harlem and destroy Luke Cage, does that give us new story territory um, in in the next season? I don't know that it does, but I'm reminded, Pete, of... uh, We'll go back to Captain America for a second. Oh, man, end of Winter Soldier. The next movie is going to be where he fights Crossbones. And the next movie, Crossbones done off in the first scene. So, I mean, maybe she comes back for a couple episodes. I certainly would not encourage Chio Hadari Coker to make next season's 13 episode villain be the daughter of the villain from season two and the villain from season one. It's a, a wise plan to, to not repeat in such a way. We'll just have to see last one for me, Matt, I would be remiss and particularly the emotional note with the voiceover there. Uh, the in memoriam from, for Reggie Kathy, really, really poignant. It was. And I think the show did such a deft job of realizing that this was it for the, for the actor, you know, that it had fallen on this show and fallen on this episode to, to, you know, to do what is oftentimes afforded to actors and be given that in memoriam. Um, and to give it as a postscript to the episode, a postscript to the season to have, forward always under the name of a man who was so concerned about that and who was so concerned about making racial progress and fighting discrimination and always representing himself in the best light possible and not lowering himself merely for a win or merely for a, you know, a a short-term gain. Uh, And you know what? It's an example that we can all learn from.
word on the street where we hear from you, the listener. Pete, where would you like to start? Let's go to the Fantastic Geek Facebook page at facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, where Robert T. Frost writes in, Hello, Matt and Pete. After a false start when Luke Cage dropped, I was finally able to get back to the series, and PG is there like clockwork to supplement and complement the show. I'm steadily cruising through season two, and I'm up to episode 208. If IMDb is to be believed, Rosario Dawson has been in 32 episodes with probably more in the forthcoming Daredevil. Rosclot, what does that even mean? A little Google foo translates it as a term of derision or disrespect. Ross meaning your rear end. Clot means cloth. So toilet paper or a diaper. Uh, crying, laughing emoji. In the same vein, I really like the subtitles that translate the Jamaican speak into what they are meaning, not just what they are saying. Harlem's hero app. Where is Tony Stark? Seriously, if he can track down Peter Parker, who has a secret identity, from some viral YouTube videos, why hasn't he looked up Luke Cage? The man seemingly can't even go to the bathroom without some fan posting his location on the app. Welcome to the MCU. It's all disconnected. I also really enjoyed the first third of the show for Chio Hidari Coker's study in relationships. Luke and Claire, who have a healthier but troubled relationship to Shades and Mariah's relationship being full of mistrust, anger, and using each other. Luke's respect issues with his estranged father to Bushmaster's demands for ultimate loyalty and unearned respect from his uncle Anansi while disregarding his sage, quote unquote, wisdom. There are a few other things I'd like to comment on, but they will have to wait till next time. Till then, your friend, Bob. Well, Amongst all the other wisdom there mentioned by Bob, uh, I, I did want to pull out one thing, which is slight story foul that we get the return of Claire off screen, mm-hmm. unshown. I mean, mm-hmm. I get it, if the schedule didn't work out or if she had done all the episodes that she could do ahead of other contractual uh, requirements on other shows outside Marvel Netflix. OK, fine. I get that. But, you know, slight. Slight imperfection there. Pete, a couple of tweets here. First one from uh, Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo 1983. Uh, What did he think of uh, the season finale? Make season three wide open. Will Luke go to the dark side? Uh, We have a tweet from Amerowitch who says simply, damn. Uh, A tweet from J. Michael Troutman. That's at J. Mac Kid, who says the entire season was whack. And Pete, the last tweet here from uh, at DJ underscore black, B-L-A-K-357, who hopefully we can meet up with at New York Comic Con in a couple months. Uh, He says, this season was amazing. Netflix usually has a great Marvel season, but the season finales never live up to the previous 12 episodes. This put the icing on arguably the second or third best Netflix Marvel series to date. They closed many doors while opening new ones. Can't wait for season three. Can I rewind there? Did someone say this season was whack? Uh, yes. J. Michael Troutman said this, the entire season was whack. I have to completely disagree. That uh, that comment is wiggity wiggity whack. 
uh well i will say pete looking at uh mr chapman's picture on twitter i think you you both have equal standing to some of the language that you're using there pete any other communiques sent your way yes we heard uh via facebook little bit of a different connection though this was uh to a post we had made on the marvel cinematic universe page to our uh episode 210 the main ingredient this was the uh the team up with iron fist and johnny Reppy wrote in have to admit that this was the best episode out of the whole season their team up was awesome and i really think finn jones proved himself as iron fish which makes me excited for season two of iron fist maybe the first time that's ever been mentioned matt someone being excited for a second season of iron fist well i'll i'll echo it that the lone appearance here uh had me excited for the character in a way that i was not after the uh you know after the first season of iron fist so whatever those problems were with iron fist hopefully we've now left it by you know iron fist the the series hopefully that's behind us and everything's all worked out because i just want to have my fun marvel tv shows to watch and talk about with everybody you know absolutely Pete, a reminder to our listeners that we still have one Luke Cage podcast for the season to go, a wrap-up of the season that'll be coming in just a few short days on Sunday. So whatever your thoughts are, make sure that you share them. Pete, how can people share stuff with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-L-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,911 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Gmail, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. One word, P-H, like it today. Well, Pete, another season almost in the books. As mentioned, one more to go to look back at the whole thing. So with that... I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final 213 word. I'm the real for real.